In this episode, we're going to hit two news items, recent comments from Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark on his expansion desires and huge news from the college football playoff, which is expanding finally. Also, we're going to give you five picks in five key Pac-12 games. All of that ahead on another episode of Gonzano and Will. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Kenzano, and I'm here with John Wilner. You can read me exclusively at johnkenzano.com. Wilner, tell them where to find you. Bay Area News Group is the mothership, Pac12Hotline.com. We are also syndicated media outlets across the Pac12 footprint. We've got a lot to talk about today. Yeah, let's get into it. I mean, uh, you know, you want to talk about the college football playoff expansion. I kind of want to deal with Brett Yormark, the, the Big 12 commissioner who has been a bit of a distraction with his strategy. Uh, let's start with the playoff, Wilner, if you, uh, you want to get into it. Why is, the, why is the expansion of the playoff important? And how has it changed maybe the Pac-12 outlook? I think that the expansion of the playoff from four teams to 12 is the most profound change in the history of college football. And it is even, even bigger than the creation of the four-team playoff originally back in 2014. Uh, it is momentous in ways I don't think we have even figured out yet. It is going to completely change the sport. The details still have to be ironed out, right? They got to figure out when it's going to start 24, 25, 26 seasons. They got to figure out how they're going to share the revenue. And that is certainly going to be a touchy subject. But the bottom line is that last week, the university presidents who run the playoff basically stepped in and cleaned up the mess that the commissioners created because they couldn't decide on a expansion format the president said we're frustrated we're going to do it for you and here's what it is it's six conference champions the six highest rated conference champions it's six at large teams the the top four seeds are going to get buys the first round games are going to be played on the home campuses quarterfinals are going to be basically new year's bowl games it's going to extend the season into the middle of january and it is fantastic now, they're meeting today, the commissioners are meeting today to figure out, to start the process, I guess, of figuring out when it's going to start and how they're going to share the revenue. But the big job has been done by the presidents. What do you think of the news? Yeah, I thought it was interesting, and I thought it really settled down all of the talk about the Pac-12 splintering. And the biggest takeaway I had, you know, the fan perspective that I sometimes will take on is that. You, you have access to the playoff. I asked George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, on media day, what was more important to him, media rights revenue or access to the playoff? And he gave the answer, both. And he expected, he said, that the Pac-12 champion would have access to the playoff. Let's just say you're Oregon or Washington. The minute this news broke, I sort of wondered, like, why in the world would Oregon or Washington or anyone else really uh, of the 10 remaining schools, why would they want to go to the Big Ten Conference or somewhere else when you have the ability in the Pac-12 to be the conference champion and very likely get one of those automatic, uh, you know, top six ranked berths into the into the playoff? Those those playoff positions are going to be lucrative. I mean, they could be 50, 60, 70 million dollar paydays 
for the schools that get in. If you go to the Big Ten and you're Oregon or Washington, you got to get by Ohio State and Michigan and Wisconsin and Penn State and Michigan State to get there. If you stay in the Pac-12 or Pac-10, you have a much easier path there. So I think it's got to quiet down some of that talk. And I think it makes sense that it did. Now there's a media rights revenue question. Of course, there's more money in the Big Ten and the SEC. How much can the conference close that gap? Will they have unequal revenue sharing of the playoff windfalls? Like, you know, if, if Oregon or Washington or Utah get that berth, do they get to keep more than one tenth of the money from it? I think that becomes an important question. But from a fan perspective, this is great. You're going to have a true playoff, not a four team invitational that we currently have. You're going to have most of the conference champions represented if the you know, as long as they're decent you're going to be one of the top six ranked teams. Uh, I think the SEC and the Big Ten are well positioned to get multiple teams in. They're going to be happy with it. So I think it's a win, win, win all around college football. And I think it does really settle down all the discussion about the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and who's splintering and who's leaving, because I think everybody now will feel like they have access. What it does is it it changes the the weight of the realignment calculation, I think now the competitive component is larger than it used to be relative to the media rights revenue component, right? Because being in that playoff, I mean, second Saturday of December, you know, 2025 or 2027, and Oregon is the fifth seed and they're hosting number 12 LSU at Autzen Stadium. There is no price you can put in terms of media rights revenue on what that does for Oregon, for the Eugene community, for all of Oregon. This this event is going to be by bigger than anything we've seen in college sports by an order of magnitude. And if you're a top program in one of these conferences, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, getting access to that playoff on a regular basis it, it, you just can't put a number on that relative to those extra millions you might get for finishing, you know, fourth place, fifth place in the Big Ten. It's going to be huge. I don't think it's going to stop realignment, but it certainly seems like it has the potential to kind of put everything on pause. And I think that's exactly what the presidents were trying to do. They see this chaos. They see USC and UCLA. They see what's going on with the Big Ten, the back, the Big Twelve, and you know, thinking about carving up the Pac-12 and they see the commissioners unable to get the details sorted out and the and the format approved. And they just stepped in like adults in the room and they're saying, all right, everything, everybody settle down. We're going to give everybody access. And this event is going to be like nothing we've ever seen. Yeah. And I think I think it's going to be fantastic for the game. Right. I think it. I think it's going to rival the NFL playoffs, I think it will rival the NCAA tournament as far as fan interest is concerned. But you're right about the presidents and chancellors. Let's think about them for a second. In their world, they are in the world of academia, right? And in that world, it is often consensus that matters. Everybody likes to, you know, the campus decisions are made with consensus. And so you will often see when the when the CEO group of the Pac-12, for example, meets, they'll, they'll say it was a unanimous uh, you know, vote. And they like that. They like consensus. They also have these billion dollar budgets to manage on their own campus and they have school year coming. So I think it was really interesting that they stepped in at the time that they did 
to do this, to be those adults in the room, as you said, uh, because I think they wanted this settled before they have to turn their focus to the school year and the academics and all this stuff that's going on on their own campuses. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we could pivot it's, for a second. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I could talk about the playoff. I can talk about it all day, but you know, we're going to have plenty more time because either today or in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be more news. So we'll get to that later. Let, let's, let's turn to the big 12. What do you got? Yeah, you know, Brett Yormark came out and he's been an interesting figure. And, you know, I, I think he's an interesting, I think it was a good hire by the big 12. And I think the world he comes from, it reminds me a little bit of what the PAC 12 did in getting somebody who's got connections to the entertainment world or the media world. And, we all know television and, and media are driving the revenue streams now. But your mark was the co-COO at Jay-Z's Rock Nation. And he has spent a lot of time in the last few months lobbying veiled barbs at the Pac-12. Now, George Kyavkov, he fired back on Media Day. But your mark was visiting the University of Cincinnati. And he told reporters that he wants to go out west with expansion into a fourth time zone. He said, quote, a program that has national recognition, one that competes at the highest level in basketball and football, stands for the right things, is a good cultural fit, end quote. Doesn't get specific. Declined to get specific when reporters asked him. Now, what's he talking about, Wilner? Is he talking about San Diego State, Fresno State? Is he trying to destabilize the four corners, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. What is he trying to do? All of it. I mean, he's doing all of it. But I think the thing that he's doing most is he's got to show his his conference that he's out there working in it, right? That he is he is trying. That he's he's talking up the Big 12 because in some ways the Big 12 is is at a little bit of a disadvantage because it's not in a negotiating period for its media rights deal. Now, they are having discussions with ESPN and Fox whether those turn into firm negotiations or not. I don't know, but I think a lot of what your mark is doing uh and what he has done for the last, you know, 2 months is designed to, you know, prop up uh his own his own constituents and, and show them he's out there working. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it, it's why I think, you know, I reached out to a couple of the ADs, but I had a four corners pack 12 AD tell me, I said, what is he talking about? And the AD came back and said, quote, I have no idea what he's talking about. He just continues to throw stuff out to disrupt. Seems like some level of desperation End quote. And I think it has to be interpreted that way in the pack 12 footprint. I also think you look at George Klyovkov's tactics diametrically 180 degrees in the other direction. He's not talking. I reached out to the Pac-12 uh, numerous times in the last few weeks. They want, you know, there's, there's no availability. There's no statement. You know, when George Klyovkov has something to say, he will say it. Um, you know, he doesn't want to be out there right now. And I was at the Oregon-Georgia game in the press box and the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, um, you know, who I've had on my show and I've talked with, he pops up into the press box and holds an impromptu news conference. Klyovkov's down on the field, you know, not where the media like print media can get to him. And, you know, he's just kind of staying at arm's length because, you know, likely that he, he's in the middle of this media rights negotiation. Yeah, you you could argue that the Pac-12 has been too passive uh, on the messaging front in the last I don't know how long has it been since USC and UCLA left 10, 10 weeks. Now, I, I get what they're doing. 
you know, and, and you can make a case that what they're doing is the right thing. It is certainly the more traditional approach that you would find in college sports. You know, what your mark is doing and even what Kevin Warren's doing about talking openly about expansion, that's, that's unprecedented. And it happens to be coming from two guys who are not from college sports. Now, uh, should the Pac-12 have, have fired back at a few things? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But, you know, it's just it is certainly a, a different approach. And we'll see. I mean, the, the results will 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 tell us. Right. If the Pac-12 stays together and signs a deal that is uh, more lucrative than most people think, they're going to have the last laugh about this whole thing and all the big 12 talk that has tried to destabilize the Pac-12 and all the all the rumors and reports about the Pac-12 not being worth anything and Pac-12 breaking apart. It could all look pretty darn silly in, you know, however many weeks if the Pac-12 does, in fact, sign a sign a deal that that is pretty lucrative. So we'll see. It feels to me that all of this intel is coming from the same place. It seems to be coming from your mark. It seems to be coming out of the Big 12 Conference. Mike Gundy, the Oklahoma State coach, a couple of weeks ago, he went public and said he met with your mark. And the quotes that he gave were, hey, he was surprised by how much your mark knew about every Pac-12 school. Like, I thought that was a really interesting quote for a college football coach who was just about to start his season to make. And it, it just feels really calculated to me. And I agree. I think the best, like the ecosystem of college football needs a healthy Pac-12, needs a healthy Big 12. It needs those things to combat what the SEC and the Big 10 are trying to do. So I think in a weird way, I think in the end, these conferences will end up, uh, you know, as as I don't think they'll ever be friends, but I think they'll end up both being healthy uh, with the support of ESPN and others. But I think that's where they stand. And then there was an interesting aside. Yormark was asked about that exclusive negotiating window in the Big 12's, you know, quote unquote, accelerated media rights negotiations, because there's a lot of confusion out there about whether or not the Big 12 actually is or is not in an exclusive window. And I think you reported, Wilner, that, you know, that ESPN is saying, no, they're not in a window, uh, not technically. But Yormark told reporters that he met with ESPN last week. He said the process has started. He says his gut tells him that both Fox and ESPN would like to negotiate early. I bounced that off to industry insiders in the television world. They said, it sounds like he has an indication from ESPN that they want to talk outside the window because, you know, they can't talk to anybody but ESPN and Fox right now. So they're not in an exclusive negotiating window. I just found it interesting that he wanted that out there, that they're accelerating negotiations. And it dovetails with what you said earlier. I you know, it's possible that your mark is just preaching to his constituents saying, hey, I'm I'm working my butt off over here. I'm working my butt off over here. And that the byproduct of it is that, you know, he's taken some veiled shots at the Pac-12 in the process. Look, he's a he's a promoter. He's a marketer. He's doing what he thinks is is in the best interest of his conference, regardless of the impact it has on other conferences. And the Pac-12 is doing what it thinks is in its own best interest. But one thing people should remember is that the Big 12 has hired Endeavor uh, as a media consultant, Endeavor's part of William Morris. And Endeavor is advising the Big 12 on media valuations and what the smartest strategy is for expansion and all that kind of thing. Well, a year ago, the Pac-12 also hired Endeavor 
to look into expansion. You know, when it was considering whether to raid the Big 12 after Texas and Oklahoma left, Pac-12 hired Endeavor. They're both looking at the same numbers, right? Everybody knows it's like two teams that have played each other in a seven-game series, and you're in game six. Everybody knows what everybody's going to do. They all have the same numbers, and the Big 12 is is you know interpreting it one way or interpreting it the same way, but messaging it differently. But there's no secrets between those two conferences on the media valuation side. So we'll see where it comes out. I think that it's going to end up being pretty close. But it is fascinating to watch the two uh, very, very different public public uh, approaches. He's John Canzano, johncanzano.com. I am John Wilner, the Bay Area News Group and the Pac-12 Hotline. A lot of news, but we've got some games coming up. What do you think? Yeah, let's pivot to the games. Uh, I think that's what fans care about. But And let's start with the late game. On Saturday night, Mississippi State and Mike Leach, SEC program, go to Arizona. That is 8 p.m. Pacific time on FS1. Arizona's an 11 and a half point underdog. Wilner, what's happening in that game? You know, I like Arizona and the points. Uh, I think they're just way better. And I think that the betting public uh, has not caught up to the fact that Arizona is better. And there could be a lot of money to be made. Uh, off the Wildcats here before that spread, uh, you know, finds its proper proper spot. Uh, that's a that is a lot of points. But you talked to Mike Leach, and it was like at three in the morning in a, in a Starkville or whatever it was. What what was his view? What's yeah, he was think? out walking his dog. If people want that podcast, you can find it. Uh, you know, just search the internet for it. But or look at my Twitter. Um, uh, he was he's a night owl. Okay, and so he's a guy who stays up late. It was uh, he was taking his dog for a walk and we ended up in about a half an hour conversation. I asked him if I could roll on it. We did. We aired it on our on uh, the radio show that I host. And he talked about Jaden Delora for a little bit. And, you know, he recruited him at Washington State, never got to coach him, but he recruited him. He likes him, says he's a tough kid. And, you know, I just I think Leach, you know, in, in particular, he talked about what, what it is about the SEC that is better. And he confided that the primary reason he left Washington State for Mississippi State was he saw the trajectory of the Pac-12 conference. He was concerned about it. So he talked about the size on the defensive line. He said the skill position guys, by and large, are very similar, similar and comparable. He said that in the SEC footprint, you're looking at five or six players on every SEC team that could play in the NFL on the defensive line. And he said in the Pac-12, you got one or two at every school. And he said that's the difference. So I thought that was really interesting. I agree with you. I think it's going to be a highly entertaining game. I think Arizona is better than advertised. Public hasn't re- realized it yet. I looked at uh, the Vegas money. 74% of the money bet right now in Vegas is on Mississippi State. It's driving that 11 and a half point line. I think the public has not yet figured out that Arizona is much better. I think Arizona is going to score in this game. I think it's going to be, you know, it could be 75 total points in this game. I think Mississippi wins it, but I think they win by like six. I have it 41-35, Mississippi State over Arizona. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm with you. It, it, Mississippi pulls, State pulls it out, but, but it's close the whole way. And, and some of that betting is undoubtedly a reaction to what happened last week with Florida, which is considered a mid-level SEC school, uh, beating Utah the Pac-12 favorite and Oregon 
getting, you know, stomped. So I'm sure that that is, that is part of it. Uh, what, what else I've got, uh, yeah. my, I, I'd love to talk about the Arizona state, Oklahoma state game for a minute, because I think that that is, you know, that's got the backdrop of this whole PAC 12, big 12 thing, but I am very curious to see how ASU does this year. They've had so much staff turnover, so much player turnover, and I, I just want to see, is it the same team we saw last year that basically led the nation in penalties and continually shot itself in the foot? Or has Herm Edwards, despite all the chaos that's going on off the field there, figured out a way to add discipline? And if that's the case, I think ASU could have a pretty good season because they got players. Yeah, he talked on Media Day about the the players owning the season, them taking responsibility. Maybe he felt like a year ago that the players didn't have accountability, didn't kind of buy in, but he felt like he was in a much better position there. And if he gets that, I think they have some talent and I think they can be in games. And I think they can be in this game. Uh, they're an 11 and a half point road underdog going to Stillwater, Oklahoma. But Oklahoma State gave up 44 points and 546 yards of offense to Central Michigan in week one. Uh, most of that came on the passing side. I don't love Arizona State's pass game. I think they're more of a run first team. But if they were a better passing team, had a you know more established quarterback, I might pick them in an upset. But I think this is going to be another close loss by the Pac-12. And I think Arizona State, uh, you know, I think they will flirt with an upset in this game. I have it 31-28, Oklahoma State. But I won't be surprised if Arizona State wins this game. Yeah, I, I see it as being close all the way, at least into the fourth quarter. I just am not sure they'll be able to hold up. Uh, uh, you know, Oklahoma State's got a veteran quarterback, Spencer Sanders. Uh, they're, they're good. They're, I think they maybe end up being the best team in the, in the Big 12. I, I'm thinking it's Oklahoma State, you know, 38-24, something like that. Uh, but, but competitive for three quarters, right? I mean, and that's what the Pac-12 has got to do. You've got to be competitive. You can't get boat raced like Oregon did or like Colorado did against TCU. Oregon State goes to Fresno State, 7.30 kickoff Pacific time, CBS Sports Network, Saturday night. Beavers coming off a win over Boise State. They felt good there. Fresno State's got Jeff Tedford, and they got the home field in this game. Wilner, what do you see in the Oregon State-Fresno State game? Boy, first of all, uh, I've been watching the temperatures in Corvallis, so I don't think it's going to be much hotter in, in Fresno on Saturday night than what the Beavers are dealing with uh, you know, Thursday and Friday at home. Uh, but it, that is a rowdy place. Uh, Fresno State is always fired up to play the Pac-12. They got Jay Kaner one of the best quarterbacks in the West. So I, I think it's going to be a great test for the Beavers, especially a great test for their new defense under Trent Bray, which looked really good against Boise State. I think I think Oregon State's going to figure out a way to win this game. And maybe it may end up requiring a, a points on defense. It may end up requiring a big play on special teams. But I've got the Beavers winning this game, 31-28, and covering that very narrow line. Yeah, the, the Beavers right now are a one to one-and-a-half point favorite in this game. I agree with you. I think Oregon State wins the game. But I'm going to throw something else in here. I've got a theory on this. I covered that Fresno State program. I know those kids. They chip on their shoulder. They all wanted to play in the Pac-12. They got overlooked. A lot of them from Los Angeles in that area wanted to play at USC and UCLA, some from the Bay Area. Uh, the geography of Fresno in the Central Valley is interesting. There is a massive inferiority complex there. 
but it plays to Fresno State's advantage in these games against the Power Five and in particular the Pac-12. There's a caveat, though. Fresno State plays at USC next week. I think the kids at Fresno State value that USC game more than this Oregon State game. I wonder if they're going to look ahead a little bit. I wonder if that chip on the shoulder thing doesn't play as much in this game. Uh, I think Jeff Tedford is very dangerous, but I think Oregon State defensively is much improved from last year and two years ago. I think Oregon State wins it. I have it 30-24, to 24, Oregon State over Fresno State. Jonathan Smith, 2-0. and 0. So You've got it basically as a trap game for Fresno State. That's a fascinating twist on it. Yeah, I just think those kids, like I – Look, I know those kids. I, I spent three years there. They they get up for UCLA and USC like nothing else. That's where they wanted to go. Oregon State, normally, that is a big game. And I believe, you know, I think Fresno State is undefeated against Oregon State historically. Uh, but I think this game probably doesn't mean as much to those Fresno State kids as next week's game. They've heard a lot about USC. They're going to get to play in L.A. Um, you know, I, I still think they're going to be up for this game. If it were in a vacuum, if, you know, if next week Fresno State was starting conference play, I would feel a little differently. But I kind of wonder about Oregon State in this game and how much it means to those Fresno State kids. I think I, I don't think it means as much. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great thought. That's a great thought. We got um, Washington State is at Wisconsin. It's the uh, the third Pac-12 matchup against a power five opponent. And uh, it is a daunting one. For sure. I think it's a great game for Washington State to take, right? They got a power five opponent first time in a while. You know, instead of just playing group of five and, and FCS, I'm, I think it's awesome that the, the Cougars were able to, to schedule this game. And Wisconsin's going back to Pullman for the return. What do you uh, what do you think here? First of all, I think Wisconsin probably bails on that return trip. I mean, I think that they do what Michigan did to UCLA and they get out of it. But 17 and a half point underdog Washington State. I wanted prior to the season to pick this as an upset. I really wanted to pick Washington State. I wanted to believe in Cam Ward and Jake Dickert's team, but man, they did not look good in that opener against Idaho. I I needed to see more. It was a real mixed bag. I didn't like that they kind of laid up. They kicked a field goal on the one yard line instead of punching it in and on fourth down. Um, I thought I was going to pick Washington State as an upset here, but I didn't see enough in Week One to merit that. I I have Wisconsin. 31, Washington State 21. I think the Badgers at Camp Randall Stadium are too tough to beat, but um, I would like Washington State to show me something in this game. It'll be interesting to see how much more dynamic they are on offense, if they are, right? How much were they keeping in their back pocket against Idaho because they didn't want to show anything to Wisconsin, right? Also, Cam Ward now has had had a game in that offense. I would expect that he's going to be a little bit more comfortable. I just am, am Washington State's pass rush was terrific against against Idaho, but man, you got to get first downs in order to keep your defense rested. Because if your defense isn't rested, Wisconsin's going to run for three hundred yards, and that's what I wonder: is is Washington State going to be able to collect enough first downs to balance out? Uh, you know, the time on the field for their defense so they don't get worn down in the fourth quarter. And I'm a little bit skeptical. I think Wisconsin is going to roll this in this game. I got them 42-24. Just Washington State just kind of collapses. Yeah, my hopes for Washington State at the beginning of the year were sky high. And, you know, and when Mike Leach was on that walk the other night, 
I asked him about week one and he said, you can't overreact. He said, everybody, the sky's falling. Everybody wants to change everything after week one. You can't overreact. And he said, if you win week one, he said, you really have to come into practice the next couple of days and really remind your guys that they're not very good. He says, you got to manage your team in that way. I, I want to believe you that Washington state was holding back, but I just didn't like on fourth and one at the one yard line against a big sky team playing at home that Jake Dickert didn't just hand the ball off and power it in and show that, you know, Washington state is, is got, you know, the line of scrimmage, but I didn't like that. And so I agree with you. I think Wisconsin wins. Uh, let's pivot to the conference game. USC traveling to Stanford. I cannot wait to see this game. If I could only watch one game on TV this weekend, it's going to be USC at Stanford. I'll be at the Oregon State game, Oregon State, Fresno State. But uh, USC is going to Stanford, 4.30 p.m. kickoff Pacific time on ABC. First Pac-12 game of the week. Wild matchup. What happens? USC, Stanford, Wilner. I think it's close. Uh, I think uh, Stanford always plays them well, and it is certainly a different USC team, different USC coaching staff. But I think Stanford is going to handle itself at least uh, till the very end. Uh, you know, they can move the ball. If they're healthy, Tanner McKee's healthy, his receivers and tight ends are healthy, they're going to move the ball on SC's defense, which I, I think is clearly that's the question for with the Trojans, right? I mean, they're going to be able to put up – 40 or 50 points almost against almost anybody with that offense. But are they going to be able to, you know, the, is their defense going to be able to get it off the field, stop Stanford on third down, get pressure on McKee? I don't know. I think, I think we're looking at a, a real close game, you know, something SC wins it, but it's, it's, you know, it's 31 28 or it's 28 24. And Caleb Williams ends up having to make a play down the stretch because Stanford will, Stanford will be ready for them. Yeah, I think USC is going to score some points. I just don't know if USC is going to be able to run the ball on Stanford. And I and I kind of wonder if David Shaw is going to try to go double tight and pound it at USC, or is he going to let his quarterback Tanner McKee go out and try to uh, win this game by scoring a bu- outscoring USC? I see it much the same way as you do. I have it uh, USC thirty one, Stanford twenty four. Spread on this game is nine. Uh, I was waiting to see if this game would would move towards 10, 10 and a half. It just hasn't. Uh, I think uh, USC wins the game, but I don't think it's as easy as, you know, Vegas thinks it's going to be. I think Stanford hangs in there and I'll be very curious to see if David Shaw tries to line it up and, and smash USC like everybody did last year. Yeah, almost without exception, how USC does against Stanford tells you what kind of season the Trojans are going to have. It's ha- It's like, I don't know. Eight of the last 10 years, nine of the last 11, you know, performance against Stanford is a mirror into the season. And a lot of those times, SC, Stanford has won and sometimes won by double digits. And, and like last year at the Coliseum. And uh, that, you know, it, if it's close, I think that that will end up boding pretty well for the Trojans. But we will see. It's going to, this is the by far the most interesting game of the week. I agree with you. I think it's going to be this season's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I appreciate everybody who is subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening and, and give us feedback. It's how other it helps other people find the podcast. Uh, I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. I'm with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group, does a fantastic job. Uh, Wilner, tell them where to find the hotline. Yeah, Bay Area News Group, Pac12Hotline.com. 
syndicated throughout the conference footprint. Can't wait for these games. So you're going to be at uh, Oregon. I'll be at Oregon State, Fresno You'll State. Be, I'm going. All right, eat. and I'm going to be at Stanford SC, and okay. uh, we're going to plenty to talk about next week. All right, we'll catch you next week. Appreciate you listening to the podcast.